Ladies, if I could get your attention, we're going to go ahead and get started. And um, it's just been an honor and a privilege to have Ms. Francie Taylor with us uh, yesterday, and I'm so excited she, she's able to do this this morning, and I know you'll be blessed. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting it to be so brief. I thought maybe, and so now let's sing a song. And I was, I was getting ready to sing along with you all. Oh, okay, be honest, because it's us sisters. We're, we're sister friends. We all have adopted each other this weekend. So tell me the truth. Are you, is there anyone in here who's tired from the weekend? May I see your hands? Wow, yes, and that's okay. So guess what I do when I'm asked to teach on Sundays, and I love it so much. Oh, speaking of love, okay, first grader attention span, now you know it. Nice rug, like that rug. But anyway, when I'm asked to teach on Sundays, on purpose I have a lesson that's a little less hard thinking, but always practical, always scriptural, but I don't want to overload the truck. We went through a lot yesterday, the three lessons. That's a lot to digest. And actually, I forgot to tell everybody yesterday this, but treat those lessons like a UPS truck that pulls up to your house. Not all the packages in there are for you. So you don't have to feel like you have to open them all. And the same thing with lessons like this. You don't have to feel like you have to do all of this, cover all of this, live all of this at once. We're back to that same thing I said yesterday. Ask the Lord for your this out of even this lesson. And today's lesson, I want to talk about perfect peace because one of the things I've noticed, especially when I talk to women in counseling, one of the things I've noticed is that there's often a lack of peace. And a lack of peace always has roots. There's, there's always a way to trace. If you ask enough questions, you can generally get to the bottom of what is causing this. And the same thing is true in your lives. If you lack peace at any point in time, there's always a cause. And it's a good idea if we could get down underneath and see what's going on that's disturbing my peace. And what can I do? What are some things I can do to help with that? So I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and then we're going to get right into this lesson, because I was told what time we end, and you're going to give me the five-minute signal, aren't you, little sister friend? I adore Crystal. I'm adopting her. I'm putting her in my luggage. <laughs> she's just a doll of a... She's probably about the age she could be one of my kids. I'm thinking, what is your age? I didn't even know. 42? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be 66 in February. I could have birthed her. But I'm telling you, she is like a daughter. I've just, I've just fallen in love with her and her family. And, and you all here as well, you've been so kind and welcoming, and I'm not surprised at that. That's God's people in action, right? But you have made it so that I honestly am missing my flight accidentally on purpose. <laughs> it's supposed to leave after this Sunday school class, and I won't be on it. And I'm delighted. We'll open in a word of prayer and let's study this lesson. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this quiet, beautiful, serene place where you've tucked it in here and filled it with believers. And you've allowed me to come here and be in this refuge for this little bit of time. And Father, as I go through this lesson, there's so much that you want to talk to us about and I'll only cover just a little bit. But I pray that each one in this room 
would be asking you, Lord, what is it that I'm doing that is disturbing my peace and what could I do differently? We all go through that, Lord. There's times when we're disturbed in our souls or we're upset over something or something just isn't right. Cause us to know the way we're in we should walk because we lift up our souls unto thee, O Lord. We pray this with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Perfect peace is really a mind on Christ. But sometimes we have bad habits that rob us of our peace. Have you ever had a time where something happened between you and someone else and you kept replaying it in your mind? It was a negative situation and it didn't go well and in your mind you're replaying it. Are you also one of these kind of people that come up with the script of what you would say? You're thinking of the things you wish you could say and now you can't say them because it's an over and done situation. And as we continue to press replay, do you know what happens? We disturb our own peace. That is one of the key ways to disturb our own peace. But there are other ways too. Sometimes we can get into, and, and I know that there's probably got to be some sister friends in here that are like this. Sometimes we can get into this mind of what if. That's also known as worrying in advance. And you don't have to raise your hand, but the what ifers in this room, you'll have a situation that'll happen in your life, and then you'll start, what if this happens? Go to the doctor. The doctor says, I'd like to run some tests. What if it's cancer? Or your husband says, honey, they're going to start laying people off at the job. What if he loses his job? The what ifers can disturb their own peace. And, and it's just such a terrible place to live. Then there are those who just get their thoughts everywhere, scatter, kind of like scattergun thinking, and you're thinking about everything, everyone, but when's the last time you actually thought about Christ? In fact, when you wake up in the morning, does he even get a good morning? Or do you immediately get into the day? I mean, you get up, whip out the phone, look at a bunch of stuff, and then start racing that can lead to such disturbed peace, as well as frantic, chaotic living. Now, we can't solve all the problems of the universe in a Sunday school class. So this lesson is only going to have four points, and it's just going to give us ways that we can get our minds on Christ and learn how to stop disturbing our own peace. The lesson perfect peace that we're going to cover this morning was actually written during COVID when people were increasingly becoming more panicked. At first, people were just thinking, oh, this is going to be just about a one-month-long type operation. But then when they started closing things, like our churches and schools, and you couldn't go to a funeral because it had too many people at it, and then did you know that there was actually even a nationwide shortage of caskets for a period of time? Something never, ever experienced in our in our lifetimes and it increasingly got more restrictive and and then the the media kept promoting more fearful reports oh there's another strain oh there's another this and it just kept ramping up and people were disturbed in their peace and so this lesson was written because we had to cancel our small group bible study during covid because churches weren't doing any of those during that time. 
And so instead of having the group over to the house, which by the way, when small group comes to my house, first of all, when Pensacola told me I was going to have a small group, they said that the small group was going to have about six to eight ladies. Know how many ladies showed up at my house? 35. (laughs) Fortunately, I have a daughter in love who is a really good advanced thinker, and she said, Mom, it's not going to be six or eight. We're setting up the house, Mom. And so we got every chair out that we have, and sure enough, she was right. That doorbell just kept going ding-dong. We left the door unlocked, and people just kept coming. But that was our small group, and we were already well into series when COVID hit, and then we couldn't anymore. And so I thought, well, I want to still have our small group, so we'll do it via Zoom like so many other people did. And so this lesson was first done that way. But then since then, I've been continuing to teach it in ministries, especially as a Sunday lesson, because it is something that you can chew on but not feel like you have to overdigest. And then you can just examine your own lives. God so much wants us to get in the habit of examining ourselves and seeing, is there anything that needs adjustment? Make that a regular habit, by the way. And then you won't be walking in error and making your life harder accidentally. So now we have an opening text, and it's right there on the screen. Let's read that out loud together, if we will. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Ready? Begin. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. When there's a because in a verse, we really need to pay close attention to what follows that because. And did you see what follows it? Trust. Anytime there's a lack of peace in our lives, one of the things we have to ask ourselves is, what's my trust like? If you were to put your trust in a tank and then it had a gauge, would you be close to E? Because we can't run on E when it comes to trust. We need to get that gauge over towards full when it comes to trusting God. And there'll be things that rattle us and drain our tank but we still want to work on getting back over to where we're trusting in him. The perfect peace is directly connected to trusting in God. And if we separate those two, it's like we're messing up a math problem. If you have the wrong process, you're going to end up at the wrong answer. And so this is really important that we learn how to trust in him. Our mind needs to be parked, stayed, settled on him, knowing that Come on, sister friends, knowing that whatever it is we're going through, we have seen God answer prayer before, so we know he can do it again. I want you to get something in your mind that you were praying about before and you had no idea how it could possibly be reconciled or turned out or fixed in any way, and then God fixed it. Everyone has one, at least one, if not many more. Think of that situation. Now ask yourself a personal question. How many times does God have to answer you before you'll trust him? Is there a magic number? See, every now and then we need to get after ourselves because we're kind of, we're real messy little creatures. God answers us. We're so excited. We praise him. We tell all our friends, and then here comes another situation, and we go right to worrying. The next time that happens, and there'll be a next time, two things. First of all, 
tell yourself the magic two words, stop it. And then the second thing, apologize to God. Forgive me, Lord. I know that you are able to do everything. Forgive me, Father. And even if this doesn't come out the way I've prayed, my face is set like a flint. I'm following you, Lord. So what your will is is what I want. See, that's real surrender at that point. But if you're taking notes, number one, out of four, leave your problems with God before bedtime. And the scripture for that, if you want to turn in your Bibles as we're going through, and I'll always read them, is Psalm 4, verse 8, that says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. And just like at the conference, you'll see that on your handouts, there's a scripture below each point, and that'll allow you to turn ahead, because that's where I'm going to be at each one. But leave your problems with God before bedtime. Can anybody tell me why? Because this is Sunday school. I wish I was... I could be down there, but then I'd lose my notes. Okay, so I'll stay where I'm supposed to be. But anyway, can anybody tell me why you'd leave them before bedtime? Go ahead, say it, talk. Yes. Thank you. I just love practicality, don't you? In fact, you're probably never going to hear a lesson from me that's not just bone practical. I'm, I, I, I'm a Bible application teacher. So teaching application is teaching how to be practical how to take scripture and walk it out. Why on earth will we get in the bed, lay down, and start worrying? You guaranteed are going to be awake until way past your bedtime. Then in the morning, you're going to be sleep deprived. And then, oh, you're just going to be the most pleasant person to be around ever. <laughs> I am terrible without sleep, are you? I can fake it. I, I honestly will make myself behave when I'm sleep deprived, especially when I'm serving. But then I want to get some rest as soon as possible. But what, there's, this is one of the things that doesn't keep me awake anymore. I, I won't lay awake and worry about things because I, I feel like I'm insulting God. But you know what keeps me awake at night is the silly stuff. I get excited about conference trips and I have pre-travel insomnia. Oh man, I hate it so bad, but I'm like a little K-5-er. I get excited about what God's going to do. And so then it's like, let's just skip sleep and get up and go to the airport. But that's not worrying. That's an enjoyable almost kind of insomnia that I know is going to be immediately corrected when I land at my destination. In fact, um, for unfortunate people, some people have picked me up from the airport. And while they're driving me to wherever I'm going to stay, I fall asleep in the car. It's embarrassing, it is. People are long-suffering, but that's really embarrassing, but kind of just is how it goes. But sleep deprivation is often caused by a noisy mind. When you have a noisy mind, you need to figure out what is this noise about, and then take that noise and bundle it up and take it to the Lord in prayer. You are not going to worry your way to a solution but you can lose enough sleep to ruin your health because God didn't design us to go without sleep. So the longer you keep up this habit of taking a bunch of worries to bed with you, the more likely you are to start developing these strange ailments, odd health problems that have you going to and from the doctor and they can't figure out what's wrong with you when actually what's wrong is actually very quite simple. 
you need sleep. So take those problems to God before bedtime. God gives peaceful sleep. When we really trust him with the problems, we actually have deposited them there with God. It's okay to say to, to the Lord, I do it frequently, it's okay to say to him, Lord, what are you going to do with this? And then knock out, girls, just knock out. Because it's his. It isn't ours. Anytime you face a problem that you absolutely can't figure out what to do with it, you're in God's territory. That's all that means. So let him have it. And you take a step back. And then you stay in that mode, that neutral position is thy will be done. Not I want my way. Or not only answer what I've prayed, but thy will be done. Number two out of four, live a wholesome Christian life. We underestimate the power of this one, but it's extremely important. Psalm 37, 37 says, Mark the perfect man and behold the upright. For the end of that man is peace. Oh, okay, this verse has been in the scripture since the scripture. But have you ever made the connection between wholesome living and peace? It's in the Bible. We can't live any which way we want to and expect that we're going to have a peace-filled life. We can't make up our own lifestyles, make up our own rules, disregard God, treat people any way we want, and then think, I'm going to have a peace-filled life. We can't. God has a designed way for us to live, and he really wants us to honor it. He wants us to respect it, and he wants us to practice it. And when I say practice, I mean practice because sometimes we just don't get it right. Have you ever chewed on somebody and you really didn't mean to, but it just kind of came out that way? That's called people living. You know, if you didn't have any people, you'd have very few problems. But what planet is that that we're going to live on? So because we have engagement with people every day of our lives, we will have problems. And we will sometimes handle matters in a way that wasn't our best way. And that's another form of disturbing the peace. But if you're living a wholesome Christian life, when you do something wrong between you and someone else, it'll bother you. Because you want to please God. Not just because you don't want strife with another person, but because your life is set on, I want to please God. So I got to go get that right. Have you ever had an urgency in you like, oh, that didn't go right. I got to get it right soon. That's you and God. And that's a very good sign. It should make us uncomfortable to hurt someone else. Even if it's accidental. So if your peace is disturbed because something went wrong between you and someone else, then your soul's giving you that check engine light. Sister friend, go get it right. Now there's some what about questions. What about if it's partly her fault? Have you ever thought like that? <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's us girls. Have you ever thought like that? Like, well, she, she was wrong too. Have, who's ever thought like that? Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. That's called carnal sin nature. We all have one, they stink. But I'll tell you what, that isn't going to be the question that you have to answer when you give an account for yourself one day. The scripture says we're going to give an account for ourselves, not our neighbors. 
So God isn't going to say, did that mean lady make you misbehave? <laughs> Is that why you said that to her? Meanwhile, you're, you're all churning inside. You don't have any peace because you're not handling the matter wisely. So you're not going to find good, as the scripture says. God wants us to live that wholesome life. Mark the perfect man. Behold the upright. The end of that man is peace. When that word says perfect, it means complete in Christ. This verse is also describing a person who is sound and wholesome. Strong's Concordance also defines it as an ordinary, quiet sort of person. Wow, that's admirable. I love quiet people. I don't mean that people don't talk but I mean their spirit's quiet. They don't seem like they're always churning and always nervous and like, oh, gotta go, oh, the house is on fire. You know, they're just, there's a calm about them, a beautiful calm. You know that it's a bigger compliment. Is this real? Yes, yes no? I thought it felt real. They're saying no over there and I'm feeling like this is real. First grader attention span, there it goes again. But I keep walking up to this and thinking, wow, if this is fake, it's the best fake I've ever seen. But then I saw a hook in the middle and can I take it home? No, okay, back to the lesson. Back to the lesson, Francie. Where were we? Ordinary, quiet sort of person. So Crystal has been trying to spoil me beyond repair while I've been on this trip. It's just been a plot. She's been very successful. And she gave me a certificate. I think it was Wednesday night at church you gave it to me. And she said, this is for you. And it was to go to a nail salon. Have you any of you all been to Allure? She sent me to Allure Nail Salon to get a mani-pedi. Well, in Pensacola, our toes are in our shoes right now. And so I know I wouldn't have gone for a pedicure for sure. Or a manicure because I'm an ordinary girl. Is anybody else like me? You never really do that. So I didn't do that. But when someone gives you something, do you also think like me? I'm duty bound to use this. <laughs> and so I went and I'm sitting in the chair and this nice nail tech is, is doing his job because I got a guy and I kept feeling something bumping against my foot in the bucket of water that was swirling around me and it kept bumping and bumping. And my first thought is, it's piranhas. <laughs> They're in there to eat the goo off my toes. I don't know. How weird is that? Is that a sign of a person who never gets pedicures? Yes, because I didn't know what was banging my foot. So I'm sitting there and I let it bang me a few times before I finally said to the technician, what's banging my foot in the bucket? And he looked up at me and said, you are so calm. Most people jump out of the chair when that brush hits their foot. It's a brush. And I said, oh, okay, good. I'm glad to know it's a brush. I didn't tell him. I'm thinking, instead of a piranha. But I, I really was wondering what could be in this bucket that keeps rotating and banging me. But we, that opened up a conversation when he said, you're so calm. And I said, that's the Lord. His head whipped up. You know the Lord. Oh, and then he told me his whole testimony on how someone had led him to Christ and how it changed his life. And then he went on to say, I don't meet very many people who are calm. But all I saw coming in and out of that shop were people who looked very well-to-do. I didn't see a lot of ordinary people. People were coming in and out in tennis outfits and golf clothes and fancy coordinated outfits and, and, and here's country cousin from Pensacola. 
Nobody gave me the memo that I was supposed to dress up, so I just come slouching in there, and, you know, I had on a scruffy skirt and scruffy T-shirt that was kind of wrinkled and a jacket. And, and I, but I'm observing everything because everything's always an education for me, and it's also an illustration for our future lesson. So I'm watching everything, and it really, really was intriguing to me that he said he doesn't meet very many calm people which just reinforced something that we already know from Scripture. You know, you're not going to fix all your problems with money. So a lack of money is not a problem causer. It is just a part of life. If you have all the money in the world, but you're not walking with God, you won't have peace. And so what he was describing is the absence of Christ, not the absence of wealth. And so we actually, when we lack peace and our life is not wholesome, the solution is live the way God said. Because the way we live matters to God. He really does have patterns and plans for us in Scripture. Do you know one of the reasons why I'm such a huge fan of Proverbs is because God wrote it like a recipe book on how to live. We should read our whole Bibles. I'm also in totally in favor of that, and that is my habit. I'm usually reading Old Testament, Proverbs, and the New Testament, and I'm walking through them in chapters at a time. But my proverb of the day is, is lifeblood for me. It's like taking my vitamins for the day. It's also preventative medicine because I've laughed at how many times something happened in the day that God had already spoken to me about in the morning. And I'm a huge fan of having scripture in the morning before I mess up the day. If you're still not in your Bible daily, because I know some of you weren't at the conference when I said this, consider taking the 90-day challenge. Many ladies walked up to me, Crystal, yesterday at the end of the conference and said, we're taking the challenge. We've already texted each other. We've formed a group. The 90-day challenge is as simple as this. You'll read a proverb a day for the next 90 days without skipping. If you lay down at night and you realize, I haven't read my Proverbs, no problem. Just sit right back up, turn the light on, and read it. It'll take you less than five minutes. It takes less than five minutes to read a chapter of Proverbs. By the end of 31 days, you will have been through the whole book of Proverbs, and then you start over and do it again. As I explained yesterday, 90 days, the reason why is because it will form not just a habit, but an attachment to God. We're not just trying to do a mechanical academic exercise here. We're trying to form a bond between us and the Lord. And that happens when we're in his word daily. How to live a wholesome life is written in scripture. If we're not in scripture, we won't know how. In fact, if we're not in scripture, we won't know how to live the Christian life, period. Don't try to live the Christian life without the Bible, sister friends. If you haven't been in scripture daily, go ahead and take that challenge. And in 90 days, see what God has done. You will be so excited and you'll be so amazed. I love reading the emails from people that took that challenge, but I'm not surprised by what they tell me. I'm so much closer to the Lord. The Lord is teaching me things I never even thought about before. And they're excited and they're digging in. And now they're not just doing Proverbs. Now they're studying. Now they've gone deeper. Because God does that. He knits himself to us and us to him. Do this, sister friends. If you don't do anything else, be in the word daily. What's the date today? Do you know? 
Okay, so what chapter of Proverbs would you read? It's loaded. Wait till you see. And you want to be in it daily so that God can equip you in how to walk. Number what? Number next? Number three, learn to love God's law. Very related to number two. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, a lot of times when we see that verse in Psalm 119, verse 65, we think in terms of that word offend as we're going to be insulted by something. But that phrase, nothing shall offend them, actually translates into nothing shall be a stumbling block unto them. It also means nothing will ruin us. So it has a deeper meaning than just personal offense. So God wants us to love his law and then demonstrate that we love his law by obeying him. Because that is the key connector. Obedience shows that we indeed really do love his law. And this is how he gets us to avoid ruin. Loving God's law is actually protective, sister friends. It is protective. He's trying to shield us with his word. And if we lay that shield down and we're walking through this life boldly, unequipped, unarmed, no word of God, we shouldn't be surprised if we get hit by sniper fire. We shouldn't be surprised if the roaring lion comes in and takes a bite out of us. The enemy is looking for the Christian who doesn't take God seriously. And they're his favorite Scooby snack. But if you're serious about your Christian life, then you're going to be equally serious about obedience to God's law. And you're going to embrace it rather than always wrestling with it. Like, well, but does it really mean that? The Bible doesn't say that you can't. As soon as you hear yourself saying something like that, back yourself up a second and see, what are you trying to rationalize? Generally, when we start going into a zone of, the Bible doesn't say you can't. What we're really trying to do is have our own way. Instead of trying to see how close we can get to the fire without getting burned, how about let's see how far away from it we can stay. You probably heard the story about the guy who wanted to hire a driver, and he wanted a driver who was going to go on a road that had a cliff. And he asked the drivers about their skills. And one said, I can handle that cliff at top speed. And another one said, I am sure that I could get right by the edge and not go over and then another one said, well, I'm going to stay as far away from that cliff as possible. And that's the one he hired. And we want to stay as far away from the edge as possible. And the way we do that is to love God's law. Now, to love God's law, you are going to have to know it. So that goes back to number two as well. When you get to the point in your Christian life that you stop treating Bible reading and Bible study is optional, then you're an adult Christian. But if you're still treating Bible reading and Bible study as optional, then you're still a babe in Christ. And I'm not making that up, and I'm not name-calling. This is what the Scripture calls you. That's what he calls us. If we're not getting the meat of the Word, then we're babies on a milk bottle. And babies are petulant little people <laughs> and demanding, have you noticed? They'll have an outburst at the worst possible time. 
You put on your clothes, they'll spit up on your best outfit. And then that thing called a blowout, we don't even want to talk about it. But you know what? Take that into the Christian realm. Baby Christians, they can be so demanding. They spit things out of their mouth that come without the filter. And they have blow-ups instead of blow-outs. And you're thinking, what am I going to do with this person? If you have a baby Christian in your life and they seem stuck, two things you can do. One, most definitely they should be high on your prayer list. We need people praying for us, sister friends. We need people who are going to really pray for us and mean it when they say that they're going to pray for us. Well, what should I pray for her? Pray, cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. Pray Psalm 143, verse 8 for your sister friends. Lord, help her know the way wherein she should walk. She's way off course. Psalm 143, verse 8 is a fabulous prayer request for all of us. But a second thing you could do that's more hands-on, offer to be a Bible study partner with her. If you have that kind of relationship, she'll take you up on it. If you don't have that relationship, then pray that God will bring that person into her life. But if you've got that relationship, instead of just standing back and looking at her and judging her and clicking your tongue, how about get in the trenches with her and help her grow like somebody helped you grow? How did you grow? I know I, help, I had help. I needed a lot of it. We want to be not so busy that we can't invest in the life of another person. That's what Titus chapter 2 verses 3 through 5 in scripture is all about. Women mentoring women. And finally, number four, strive to live by God's word. Very related to number three, because love of God's law increases our tranquility. Now when we strive to live by God's word, we're also going to have more peace. In Proverbs 3 verses 1 through 2, it says, My son, Forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add unto thee. There is peace again. Because God wants us to understand that peace is totally possible. But we can't have peace if we do not have time with God. So I'm going to challenge you on a related point that I bring up frequently on purpose because repetition is the key to learning. So I'm bringing the plane back to this runway again. Time with God is so essential to our spiritual health that I want you to make a commitment in your soul that you won't sacrifice your time with God on the altar of trivia ever anymore. We will spend endless amounts of time on trivial things but we act like we're actually doing manual labor to spend five minutes in scripture. Time in God's word is how we're going to live by his word. We, how do you live something you don't know? So here's what we have. We have a challenge. If you've been fasting from the word of God, don't fast. Feast on the word of God. This is how we end up learning how to live by it. It's not enough to just knowing the Bible. The living part has to be in there too. And finally, under number four, to strive means to make every effort. We're imperfect people, so we're going to live imperfectly, but we can set our sights on living for God, and he'll help us have the victory over our self-centered flesh. He makes it possible. But living God's word brings peace. Do you want peace? 
I know I do. As soon as something is disturbing my peace, I immediately start checking. It's like the mechanic that goes under the hood of your car and he's checking the engine. And I can usually get to the bottom of what it is pretty quickly because the Holy Spirit of God wants us to know. What has been disturbing your peace lately? If you don't know, ask God. Ask him today. And then ask him what would he like you to do differently so that you can have that peace of God that passeth all understanding. Meaning he'll give you peace even when it doesn't make sense to have it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a great, great thing it is that you allow us to have peace in this noisy, just perilous society. Father, as we seek your will, as we read your word, and as we strive to walk according to your ways, help us to stay so close to you that any time our peace is disturbed, we can easily come to you like an innocent child and ask you, Lord, would you help me to search my heart? Would you try me? Help me to examine myself and see where I've got something wrong or I've left a, a door open that doesn't belong open or I'm off course somewhere. And help me to yield my very being as well as my life to you. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.